Okay, now I want to pull out message notes. Um, Phyllis did a great job last week talking about hearing the voice of God. Uh, I am excited about the message today. It's been stirring in my heart for quite some time. Um, we're going to go into the book of Numbers, chapter 13 and chapter 14. I've been stuck in the Old Testament, different stories in the Old Testament, but this story has really gripped me. Um, it has been, I can't even preach everything that the Lord has spoken to me about this passage, and, and I struggled even kind of whittling it all down for us, but after the first service, I really believe this message is for each and every one of us where we're at with God in our lives, and as a church, as we're moving forward, um, let me give you a little bit of context of where we're at. We're in the Old Testament. If you're new to Christianity or to the faith, the Bible's broken up into two Testaments, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. And so the numbers is found within the first couple of books of the Bible. And really it's a story of God's people being delivered out of slavery, going into the promised land. All that first portion is kind of this whole story of God delivering his people and taking them to the promise that he has for each and every one of them. Moses is one of the primary figures. Uh, the children of Israel have just been delivered out of Egyptian slavery and bondage. And God did. He gave them a promise. He said, look, I've got land set aside for you that I want you to obtain. I want you to be a landowner. God loves entrepreneurship. He wants us to own things. He wants us to work the land. And then not only that, he wants us to bless the world around us. And in verse or chapter 13, we have come to the place where they have actually been in the wilderness for three years. So they've been delivered out of Egypt, but God had to prepare them. So he takes them out of slavery, puts them in a process of preparation, and we find them right at the moment where they're going to take the promise. They're going to take the land that God has given to them. And so that's where we pick this up. Moses is telling 12 men to go explore the land in verse 1. says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. Now remember, it is, uh, it is actually occupied by the enemy. It says, The land that I'm giving to Israel. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. Now, Joshua and Caleb will actually be in these 12 scouts or 12 spies. They're one of the, the two of the 12. Um, the thing that's interesting on this, too, is the leaders are the ones that go explore the land, not the people, the leaders. And it's not the older generation, but this is the, the younger generation. They're about 40 years old. And so God says, I want the leaders of the generation that's going to fight the battle to go and scout and explore the land. You with me? Uh, you can do better than that. You with me? Yes. Okay, great. Verse 17 says, Moses gave the men these instructions as he set them out to explore the land. Verse 25, I'm just going to hit some of the highlights for time's sake. We're going to read lots of verses, so stay with me. After exploring the land for 40 days. Now, 40 is significant. 40 is the number of testing. You think about Jesus when he was tested in the wilderness by the devil. How many days was it? So as they're scouting this land, you have to know that this mission, this exploratory mission, the scouting of the land is still a test of their heart and their confidence in God. And so we see the men actually return. Verse 27 says this was their report. So they scouted the land. It's the leaders of the people. And it says, this is what they said to Moses. We entered the land that you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's amazing. 
you know, going through it, they talked about the, the grapes were so large, just one vine of grapes uh, the two men actually had to carry. Come on, you ain't going to find that at H-E-B. Come on, somebody. So, so there's a bountiful harvest, land flowing with the milk and honey. Of course it is because God has prepared it for his people. God wants the best for your life. So of course that's what they're going to find, right? I mean, there wouldn't, God wouldn't give some diminished, overgrown, anemic property to his people. He loves his people. And so, but look, look at what happens. So they begin to say, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And then verse 30, it says, but Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let us go at once to take the land, he said, is what he said. So, and even in this passage, one translation actually says he cut them off. So in other words, they're giving a negative report, and Caleb's like, shut your mouth. We actually have our small group for our, our married class. We think we're just going to call it shut your mouth. Come on, somebody. <laughs> like, just don't talk about other people. So all my married small group people that are here with me this morning, ain't that? Shut your mouth. So, so he's saying, shut your mouth. Like, shut up. And look, he's going he's gonna to come back and say, look, I know what they're saying, but we can. Everybody say can. Certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him discreet said, we can't. So you got, we can, we can't. So we can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. They are, and they began to spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. So the next passage, the writer's going to give us the words that these guys actually tell the people of Israel. It says, the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there. They're descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. Everybody say felt. They were in their feelings. And then look, they justify their feelings by the way the enemy saw them. They said, and that's what the enemy, that's what they thought too. I don't care what the enemy thinks about me. Look, Goliath thought David was just a boy, but a boy with God will be at a giant every time. You can think I'm a grasshopper all day, hop, 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 but I'm coming to whoop your tail. Why? Because it's not the size of me, it's the size of my God. So their perspective is skewed, and God wants you to take some promises that he's put in your life, and we got to recognize the enemy wants us to get in our feelings. And then chapter 14, 1 and 2, it says the whole community began to weep aloud. Why? Because of the bad report. Surely these men, they're leaders, they're well-respected. You know, they're saying this. Surely it's true. Listen, you may not feel like a leader, but look, you lead your family. I don't care if you're a teenager, you lead your siblings. I don't care if you're a parent, you lead your kids. We lead at work. Doesn't matter. Every one of us are leading people somewhere. Let's lead them to the promise of God. Begin to cry. It says their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If we had died in Egypt, that's it. We just should have died in slavery or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Look, they're about to have a coup, like a spiritual coup. They're gonna revolt against God and overthrow the leader. One portion even says they're talking about stoning the man of God who delivered them out of slavery and is trying to get them into the promise. I think that's because some people are more comfortable in bondage than they are in God's freedom. God wants to free you, and he has freed you, but it's easier to go back to the old ways, and that's because you don't have freedom in your heart. And that's what our small groups are all about. See, in their life, in Egypt's, in Israel's life, see, they were out of Egypt, but Egypt wasn't out of them. 
And you can be saved, but it doesn't mean you're delivered. You can be saved and still deal with the old habits and hurts and hangups. There is a process that God brings us through to experience freedom. Verse 9, Joshua and Caleb, they explored the land. It says, do not rebel against the Lord. So here they go again. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But we know they didn't listen. You go back and read it in verse 22 and 24. God speaking uh, through Moses says, not one of the, or to Moses, not one of the people will ever enter the land. Isn't that a tragedy? God has a promise for your life, but you never experience it on this side of eternity. It says, they have all seen my glorious presence, so they've seen me. They know I'm real. And I think this is a wake-up call for Christians. Look, you know God's real. Why? Because he saved you. Look, and here's what's even worse. They saw the miraculous signs. It's one thing when it's a future generation, but they are the generation that was delivered out of Egypt. They are the generation that crossed through the Red Sea. They are the generation that God provided water through a rock. They are the generation that God provided food in the wilderness. So they've experienced God's best. And sometimes we can sit in church and God's asked us to move forward in a promise. And we're like, but God, I don't know if you can do it. Don't forget how he saved you. Don't forget how he saved your marriage, how he he healed your body, how he got you that job you would have never gotten. You got to go back to the miracles that God has done in your life. He is a miracle working God. It says they'll never see the land that I swore to their ancestors, but my servant Caleb has a different attitude than that of the others. And it's, it's uh, Joshua as well. We know he leads them into it. it. says he has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him to the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. What a powerful story. Here you really have two groups of people. You have, you have Joshua and Caleb, and they decided to believe God's promise. And the other group is you have the 10 scouts and the Israelites who decided not to believe God's promise. And think about this. God gave them all the same promise. They all experienced the same miracles, and yet one of them is the only one that made the choice to receive what God had for them. Today, if I was going to title the message, it would be Promises, Miracles, and Choices. Promises, Miracles, and Choices. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I'm asking your revelation to hit our hearts. We've shared your word. Now, God, let me expound on the things that you've showed me in your word effectively. Clarity of thought, clarity of speech, and openness of hearts to receive. We thank you for this, and everyone said, amen. All right, listen, God frees the Israelites. They're out of Egyptian slavery. That in and of itself is a miracle. It's, it's an absolute miracle how God does this. You need to go back and read it. The 10 plagues, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. God uses those plagues and Pharaoh lets them go. And then not only does God release them from slavery, he destroys everyone that held them in slavery. But it was for more than just to be free. God has a plan for them. It wasn't like I'm just going to get you out of slavery. Now I've got a plan that I want you to fulfill. I've got some promises. I want you to go be landowners. I want you to be entrepreneur. I want you to work and create things with your hand. And not only that, many times throughout the Old Testament you'll read, it's, the intent is so that they would be a blessing to the world. That's the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise for their life in this, in this world. And it's a spiritual journey. And we as believers, we're all on a spiritual journey, even if you're not a believer. You may not even think it, but there's a spiritual journey that's taking place in your life. And for us, we believe that journey entails four things, that you should know God. We see it every single week. Someone says, what's the vision of your church? Basically boils down to four things. We want everyone to know God. 
We want everyone to experience freedom. We want everyone to discover purpose. And we want everyone to make a difference. Why? Because we want that? No, because throughout the Bible, it's clear that these are God's core promises for his believers. You can see that from Genesis all the way to Revelation. But the question we have to say is, okay, will I experience God's best? Will I move forward? Will I know him? Will I find freedom? Will I discover purpose? And will I ultimately make a difference in my life? So we see that with the Israelites. They're on their journey. They've experienced this freedom. They're heading towards the promise. But we need to know like they needed to know that every promise is tested. So I think it's easy for us to sit back and say, well, God, it's a promise, then it must happen. Now, look, God gave them a promise, but you know what he told them? You're still going to have to fight. That there are two parts to every miracle, and and. Sometimes it's easy to say, God, you know, you do your thing and then we'll experience the promise. No, the, the, the two parts to every miracle is we do our part and then God does his part. And God usually doesn't do his part until we do our part. And then we get mad if we don't do our part that God didn't move. But the reality is he won't do his part because if you didn't obey in your part, you won't be able to carry the promise he's given you anyway. You'll be disqualified for your character. That's all right. So I think for us, you know, even in charismatic worlds, I grew up in, in that charismatic movement of the 80s and 90s, and God bless, there was a lot of great things that happened. You know, but we, we used to hear that God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Anybody ever hear that? God, and, and that's awesome. But man, there's a whole lot in the that settles it. Like God said it, I believe it, but the, that settled it. How many know there's some fighting that has to happen? There's some things that we're going to have to do. There's some, there's, there's some devils that we're going to have to whoop up on. And the reality is we don't fight for victory, but we do fight from victory. Like we know God has ultimately won the victory, but to walk that out is a daily fight. And Paul knew it, which is why 1 Timothy 6.12 says to fight the good fight of faith. He could have said believe the good Word of faith. He could have said, no, he says fight. Isn't that an interesting word? Fight. That means every day I've got to fight and stand up and say, God, you promised this and my life is going to move forward. I may not feel like it. I may not think it. It may not look like it, but it don't matter because I'm moving forward in the promise. It's going to require a fight. And that's where it takes courage to step out in faith. It takes courage to say, God, I, th I think I'm hearing you in this. And, and, and God, I'm going to take a step of faith. And the more you listen and obey, the easier it is to hear him because you've, you've done it a few times. Um, you know, sometimes we want the promise, but we don't want the fight. Uh, we want the, the thing God's going to bless us with, but we don't walk through the struggle and the challenge and the trial and where it takes a lot of work and courage. I have people often, you know, I'm a pastor, and Phyllis and I have the privilege to coach lots of pastors um, through the ARC, which is our association-related churches, the organization we're a part of. And I've had some of them ask me, you know, hey, how did you guys do that hurricane relief in 2017? Because all these natural disasters, they're like, man, you know, we want to be prepared. And if you're new here to Anchor Bend, God used us as a church uh, three years ago in a tremendous way to not only bless this community, but really all of Texas. Uh, in fact, let me share with you some of the stats that you made possible through your generosity and your serving and your volunteerism. At Navarro Middle School, we actually had two distribution centers. One was Navarro Middle School. Anybody remember Navarro, where we had all the, the food and stuff? We received over 500,000 pounds in donations at that location. 
We had over 2,100 volunteers with over 5,100 hours of service through those volunteers and distributed supplies to 354 partners. That was just at Navarro. Then we had Tractor Supply. Come on, somebody. Who knew back then? I remember walking through thinking, man, this would be a great church. Called the owner. I was like, we can't afford it. However, we can afford it now. Come on, somebody. So... God was working back then. So even when you walk through it, some of you will go through today or next weekend and you remember serving in that place. We had 1.6 million pounds of donations go through that facility, about 52 semis, 2,200 volunteers, 3,900 hours of service through those volunteers and distributed supplies to over 552 locations. It's pretty amazing. But I want you to know, and I propose, it wasn't just an accident that we slipped into that. It was because God gave us a promise. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. Put that picture up on the screen. This is still in my office. So I have some whiteboards in my office. Um, and so I keep this up because this is, this is a miracle that God did. And it reminds me that, God, you are faithful when we take steps. Uh, February 26th. Uh, 2017, then six months, August 26. Doesn't mean anything to you right now, but I'm gonna explain it. February 26, we had a dream team rally here. Dr. Judy Laird came. She spoke a prophetic word uh, over us. Many of you may or may not be familiar with prophets. It's one of the five-fold ministries that God has for the body of Christ. I think there's not enough uh, spiritual gifts operating, which we're working, you know, God is, I think revival's about to hit in the church. I sense that, I feel that. Uh, in fact, we're going to do a Code Red revival in August, and so you just get ready. We're going to do five nights of just revival and let God do what he wants. I know Sundays we have certain things we have to operate within, but she was here, and she pulled Phyllis and I up. She began to prophesy. She said, six months, God's going to open up the heavens. This whole region is going to, like, they're going to come, and, and I'm, I'm like, praise God, Hallelujah. It's awesome. You're going to reach people of influence. You're going to see God do something that is impossible. I mean, just begin to have this word. It's just prophetic. I wrote it down back then. I'm just like, praise God. That's the promise. And, and with her, when she prophesies, everything she's ever prophesied over us comes to pass. She prophesied Phyllis and I'd be on TV. We were on TV. She was hosting a, a program every month, just within six months after she proph prophesied that. She, several things, she just very accurate. So I wrote it down. Come on, somebody. That's my promise. <laughs> right well then in August there's a tropical storm out in the Gulf and it happens to be around August 20th I remember that tropical storm they, they, they were saying they didn't think it was going to hit us at first if you remember oh it's going to hit Louisiana it's, it's awesome well I'm looking at the board one day and I see that date August 26th I'm like I know it ain't a hurricane yet but I wonder if that awesomeness, that, that, that influence, that regional community might be a little bit different than what I thought that promise might actually be. God's honest truth. And Pastor Brian was, you know, the team was there. I pulled everybody in, all of our outreach. And, and they said, well, what are we going to do with this tropical storm? I said, we're going to stay here. We'll reach a city. It's going to be a hurricane. And you watch, it's, it's going to destroy a lot of our city. And I said, we're going to be here, ground zero. We're not moving. How do you know? I said, because it's a promise from God. Didn't come like I thought it would. Wasn't what I exactly wanted. It was going to take a lot of hard work and grit and moving things around and generosity. But the reality is we were prepared because of a promise that God gave us. And if you remember, we got national media. I had national media outlets 
calling me, Facebooking me. We were all over the nation, Chicago, different places. I mean, all across this nation, so much so that we were able to get 52 semis of goods brought here. Joyce Myers Ministry, Ark, Church of the Highlands. I could list church after church after church, people that you would recognize that gave because we were in the right place at the right time to receive and walk out God's promise for our life. The reality is we understood there might be a test. Your promise might be tested. It might not come the way you thought it would, but you have to choose. Are you going to move forward in faith? Are you going to step backwards in fear? And I've learned fear is really two sides of the same coin. It's just like these guys. You can either have faith or you can walk in fear. It's your choice. And every situation, that's really the two options that we get to see that we have to make in our lives. The scouts chose to walk in fear. They said, we can't, the 10, we can't. Caleb and Joshua, they said, look, we can't. We are well able. It's not about us. It's all about my God. We choose to move out in faith. And so they did. The concern here is, you know, they said, look, we felt like grasshoppers. They were in their feelings. Emotions can blind you in the moment. You let fear be your focus. You forget about God's character. You forget about God's miracles that he performed on your behalf. And and so when you do that, you recognize the enemy is robbing you of God's promise. Look at Exodus 23, 31. Here's what's very interesting. This is a passage where God is speaking directly to Israel, and he's telling them what he's going to do. He says, I will. Everybody say, I will. That's not a suggestion. It's not maybe. When God says, I will, how many know I'm going to take some notice? Like, I want God to say some I wills for me. He says, I will establish your border from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea, from the desert to the Euphrates River. I will, everybody say will, give, your, give into your hands the people who live in the land. And he says, you will. So he goes from what I'm going to do, my portion, my part, to now what you're going to do. You're going to have to fight this fight. You're going to have to go out and drive out the enemy, but listen, I'm going to be there with you. And nowhere in this passage does God ask them for their opinion. Nowhere does he say, hey, I want you to go explore the land. Just tell me. Like, hey, kind of give me, I, I need some counselors. I need some, some strategists. Like, tell me if you think that you could do it. That's not what he said. He said, listen, I want you to go explore the land. And, and what I believe the reason was, which it doesn't say in the passage, it wasn't to scare them. It wasn't to freak them out. It wasn't to get their opinion. It was to show them what he was about to do so they could get excited about the miracle of a miracle-working God. I mean, think about what they got fortified cities. Think about this. If God helps me take a fortified city, I don't have to build a fortified city. If God is leading us into a land with grapes that are so big, two men have to carry a cluster, that means I don't have to start the harvest. I get to reap the harvest. And so they saw it through the lens of fear and not faith. And because of that, they disqualified what God had for them in the moment. He's not looking for your opinion. I've learned that. Look, God ain't asking if you agree or if you think it's okay. I just learned, look, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I know your character and you're a big God. And if you're asking me to take this step of faith, you've got a big plan. And I choose to be the the little shepherd boy that beats a giant. And the only way that happens is if you choose to live by faith and not fear. I gotta make the choice. 
I believe what you spoke, God, in my life, and I'm going to hold on to it, even when it seems impossible, even when the odds are against me, even when people don't believe in me, even when there's no resources. Look, I've never had God throughout my life ever tell me to do something I had everything I needed to do it with. If that happened, I would probably figure that's probably not God. I mean, I remember in my 20s, we opened up several businesses, real estate company, we had a restaurant. I didn't have the money to do all that. I just felt like God said, do it. I said, okay, I'm gonna do it. And they were successful. It was great. I didn't have what I needed. I remember whenever I went into full-time ministry. It was crazy. Think about it today. I was, I was the primary breadwinner for our home. I went on staff at a ministry for $24,000 a year. I actually laughed uh, because I was an entrepreneur and then I'm going to work for, for food stamps. Come on, somebody, in the ministry, you know what I mean? And so I thought, 24,000, that's pretty much poverty if you're the primary breadwinner. And here's what God said, you'll never walk in lack, you'll never not have enough. You take that step of faith, and guess what? We lived in a nice house, we had nice cars. The blessing of God pursued our life. It wasn't about how much, it was about the one who would provide. Moving to Houston, becoming a pastor, we went bivocational, it didn't make sense. I'm like, God, you want me to come to Houston and do what? You want me to go, like, I feel like you've called me to this. And God said, do it. I'll provide. Launching this church. I never forget launching the church. I mean, it looks great now. Listen, it's amazing what God has done. It really is a miracle that in seven years, so many people have been touched. Over 3,000 people give their life to Christ. I mean, it's just absolutely astounding. But you were there when we got ready to launch it, and there was nothing in the bank account. We're working at another church, weren't even planning on launching a church, but the pastor I was submitted to said, I believe there's a great church in Rosenberg. Have you ever thought about it? No, never thought about it. Would you consider it? Yep, I'll consider it. We moved to Rosenberg and had already been living here, so we prayed about it. Felt like it was God. I said, God, we ain't got no money. He said, I got you covered. I'm like, no, for real, God, we ain't got no money. I got you covered. God, for real, like for real, for real. So much so that I made a deal with God. If you've heard me share this story, I told him if I'm ever late on a bill, I'll go get a second job and I'll still do this, but I won't be able to focus on it full time because I believe God's not late. He doesn't want you to have late payments. He doesn't want you to foreclose on your house, your car payment. I still got to provide for my family. So God and I had this deal. We get ready. We're launching the church. We had an interest meeting in our house. We put a giving center there. We didn't pass buckets and plates then. We never have. Um, And so we put the giving center in there because, come on, somebody, maybe God will lead you to drop your ties. Remember, we we didn't have anybody. We're building a team. You know, this wasn't a church like this. This is, oh, really? You're going to launch a church? Cool. Let me hear about it. Uh, So we're there, and I'll never forget, I told Phyllis, I said, I've got to go get a job tomorrow. I said, we have a bill that's going to be late, and she knew the deal. I actually said, I'll go get a job at Chili's. Maybe I could work night shift, whatever. I'll do this during the day. And that night, after I just told her, someone knocks on the door. It's like 9 o'clock, 8.30, 9 o'clock. We just had an interest meeting. They come back. We, it was, the bill was like 300 bucks or something. And uh, they come back with a giving envelope and had their ties in it and said, uh, we want you to know you're our pastor. This is our church. Here's our tithe. We're going to start tithing here uh, every single week. Isn't that awesome? Paid, paid it. Paid like right then and there. It's like, I don't know about you, but I was like, Woo! I want to get a job. You know, I'm like, God, I thought you said it. But here's what I know. God's never early. He's never late. He's over right on time. How many ever wish God would just get a little early? Like, come on, God, help, help a brother out. Come on, somebody. You know what I mean? Like, just help me. And so, no, but, but from that moment on, I never looked back. It was never a question as to whether or not I was to get another job. And God provided. There were tight seasons, things like that. But all I know is that our faith is what we have to choose to live by, not the fear of circumstances or a situation. 
And faith is what keeps us moving forward when it looks like the odds are stacked against us. James chapter 2, 26 says, Is the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So you got faith? Good, let me see it. I think faith has feet. I think you ought to be able to see it walking along. Oh, yeah, that's a faith walk right there. Come on. Some, we ought to all be stretching our lives at some level in an area that causes us to lean on faith. Here's the third thing. Negativity spreads like cancer. It's very, very interesting. This rebellion didn't start with an uprising. It started with a negative report. I mean, think about this, and, and I'm going to share some numbers with you that'll be, it'll blow your mind. We're doing the research on this. Three years in the wilderness, out of slavery, the Israelites are about three million strong. Three million strong. That ain't my preaching timer. That's all I'm saying, somebody. <laughs> Three million strong. Everybody say three million. Three. Ten spies lead that generation to forfeit their promise. Do you know how many they estimate was in that generation? 700,000 to a million Israelites. Ten disqualify a million. It's a cancer. Because here's what you look at. Like even when, because I, I, I even hesitated to say the word cancer, but I felt like the Lord said, no, that's the right word. Because cancer kills. So is negativity. Because here's what blows your mind. There were two reports. I mean, there was a positive report and there's a negative report. How come this one spread? Because people lean towards the negative. People lean towards the natural. People lean to what they feel and what they sense. And it's all about them. Instead of us really forcing ourselves to choose God, no, I'm going to step out in faith. And, and so we see 10 men disqualifying this million people. So if you read the story, what happens is these 10 actually die. It seems as if they die almost immediately. And the other million have to live 40 years wandering in the wilderness, even though the promised land was only 10 or 11 day journey. They missed it. They couldn't go into it. And so none of them see it. The whole generation dies. God raises up Joshua and Caleb to lead the next generation. And so they missed out on this promise, even though they had seen the God of miracles, they had experienced the God of miracles, they were standing at a place where they said, it's too big of a miracle. It's just too big. It's too big. And I know it's temptation. I mean, I... I mean, I get it. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, I remember standing up in, I talked to our trustees and I love those guys and I talked to our staff pastors and I talked to our overseers. I'm like, guys, do you think, like, can we really, like, I know, like, you, you thought a million dollars was a lot. Some of you may not, but I thought saying a million dollars was a lot. Come on, somebody. And sometimes you can say, but God, you, God raised, helped us raise 198,000 in 11 months to launch this church out of the movie theater. We raised $100,000 in six, only being six months old to move into here to buy what would facilitate excellent church. We raised another hundred and some thousand to buy the Fort Bend Dream Center. And now we get to this precipice of God, this is a million. And so you have the tendency to say, I know you did this and I know you did that. I know you did this, but this is really big. And so what happens is we begin to talk about and disqualify the miracle that God has before us. Whereas what I'm convinced of is if they would have just shut their mouth, they would have experienced the miracle. 
Like, like, like just don't say nothing at all. Like, think about this, and this is what I've learned. You know, I'm 43 years young. I just turned 43 last year. I know I look like I'm 27. You know, it's amazing. Phyllis keeps me young. Come on, somebody. And got a lot of kids because I like kids. That's all I know. They, uh, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. That's terrible. I, uh, think about this. I am convinced, and I'm telling you, I've read this story and read this story and read this story. If those 10 would have shut their mouth and just let, hey, I don't, I don't think I got this one, and let Joshua and Caleb step up and declare with boldness the faith that God put inside of them, clearly they had it, clearly they got it, clearly. And so somehow, some Yahoo said, no, we're going to jump in front. Look, sometimes you just got to run behind people that got the faith. Sometimes you just got to say, listen, baby, I got you. You speak it. We're going to walk it. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. And the whole time, you just got to shut your mouth. Come on, man. Thank you. And I just, because I think the enemy would cause us to disqualify the promise just through the words that we speak. I'll tell you a story that, that just happened this last year and being really transparent. I wasn't expecting to share the first service, but I felt like it was God. You know, this, this whole campaign is, I've never raised a million dollars. Now, I've managed millions of dollars. I never raised a million dollars. I don't know, you know, that's, it's a pretty daunting task. We're still pretty new as a church. I've, got, I've managed employees, I've done some things. So I, there's a little bit, but doing this, campaign and really just taking a step of faith. We, we worked hard for our credibility in this community. So there's a little bit of nervousness, trepidation, a little bit of anxiety. You know, if I, if I were to say there wasn't any, I would, I would be a liar. There's not today. There was in December. Um, I've never stood before you and said we're going to do something we hadn't done. And I have really worked hard to not get us excited and do, you know, point us in a direction that God didn't, you know, move us in. We, we have great counselors or trustees. We, we have great overseers. And so this was a step of faith. We weren't even expecting it. We actually brought in the company because we're going to buy land and build. We just thought it'd be a little bit longer. But I, I, the Lord really spoke, go look at it, go move forward. And, and we've had three or four amazing miracles that have literally happened. In fact, Commissioner Morales is coming to our seven-year anniversary and uh, I said, you got to come to our anniversary and celebrate what God has done because he's a big part of it, the commissioners, Fort Bend County. They rescinded their cash offer so we could buy that property. So miracle after miracle. And, um, but the, the truth in December, I, I know where we have to be. We, needed, we had a $300,000 donation right at the beginning. We, uh, we raised $188,000 in the legacy offering inside here on our one-day offering. So we're about four eighty-eight. We really need to be at 550 by the end of December. And so that was the goal. That's what I, I, I really felt like. God spoke to me. I, he told me, well, in my heart, he gave me a number. And so here's, I'm sitting in my office January 3rd. Staff is off. Nobody's around. I'm there before the people... Got there, I think Joanna came in and did something, and then George and 
They text me and this realtor, the, the ministry solutions guy that we're talking through Texas and said, uh, hey, how was the fundraising for December? Well, what I knew is we were a little bit short. I mean, even though we got 188 and I was celebrating, it's awesome, but it's not what the Lord spoke to me. And um, so I'm a little bit depressed and I'm angry because he put the realtor on there. I'm like, she's not even a believer. Like, how do I explain, like, God's got this? Because I want you to know, if I ain't got the money, I'm still going to closing because God's going to bring it at closing. I just believe that's how much faith I believe. I don't want to do it that way. Come on, somebody. I'm just telling you. So I, I was mad and I said, look, I'm not going to. I said, listen, my finance team isn't in just yet. I don't have all the reports. Come on, somebody. Thank God for that. I said, I'll tell you Monday where we're at, but I think everything's, I said, we're right on track. And I'm having an argument with God. I'm like, God, you asked me to step up. I know what we brought in so far. It's amazing. 488's amazing. But God, that's not what you spoke to me. So I'm having this conversation. I'm like, it's not where we need to be. And, uh, you know, you just, you, you, are you sure? Maybe, maybe this isn't it. Maybe it's not. And how many have ever wrestled? Can I just be honest? Well, then I'm sitting there, and Joanna comes in with a big smile. She has this envelope. She says, you need to open this. Hands it to me. It's a $100,000 check that had been mailed in December. But we didn't get it because it was postmarked and the office was closed, which broke us not only to where we needed to be, but beyond where we needed to be. And I heard God speak to me more clear than I've ever heard. I heard him say, I got you. You lead, I got you. I'll speak to people. I'll, I'll, I'll tell people what to do. We're go, we got this. And from that moment on, I've not had, I've, because before that, listen, and this is why I'm telling you the negative report. People say, I heard you're buying the tractor supply. I said this, well, we have a contract, right? Because I ain't closed on it yet. Man, I'd be embarrassed if we did that. At least here, you love me. You'd be like, oh, pastor, we tried. But out there, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. You know, you know what I mean? There's a little bit of comfort, I guess. Just, I'd be like, well, we have a contract. We're trying to close in March. But after that moment, it ain't trying. We got to, con- that building is ours. That is our property. God is moving us into that location. We're going to see thousands and thousands. I just heard God say, and so I just thought, I need to shut my mouth. But I want you to know, I ain't got to shut my mouth now. If you ain't got the faith, you just get behind me because we're doing this thing. I got it. I've never been more confident. I don't know how it's going to come in, but I've never been more confident. That is, that is the key to this region for what God wants to do in our church. And then here's the last thing, and I'm going to get you out. I'm cognizant of the time. Words create the reality we live in. Listen to this last piece right here in verse 2. It says, if only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Isn't that amazing what they spoke, they actually experienced They would actually die. That whole generation would actually die in the wilderness. Now, I want you to know, God's not going to send you back to slavery, but he will let you die in the wilderness. See, you think, oh, God would never. No, no, no. He doesn't want you to. That's not his plan for you. He has a better promise for your life, but he will allow you to eat the fruit of your words. He can't make you. He can't say, oh, man, I'm going to override that. No, no, no. He can't do that. Why? Because we are 
the vessels of this earth that unlock what God wants to do. And he, that would be a manipulation. He would be forcing us to do something we're not ready to receive ourselves. And we don't even believe we can receive it. So he says, if you believe you'll die in the wilderness, you'll die in the wilderness. And I don't know about you. I don't want to die in the wilderness. I don't want to die in slavery. I want to die in the promised land. And if I don't make it to the promised land, I'm going to fight to get into the promised land. And I'd like to die on the battlefield. So we got to be careful. Look, you're not just fighting for your life. You're fighting for your marriage. You're fighting for your kids. You're fighting for your, the generations that come after you. And if we don't step up, what kind of an example does it show to our kids? That's why it's like, man, I, I've told my kids. They asked me the first time. I said, we're going to try. I, wouldn't you rather us try and give them the faith that we can fail, that you can make mistakes? I think you think you could get lost, but man, God has a way of finding you. He has a way of turning you around. It's easier to turn around a moving car than one that's sitting still. And I just love that God catches us. Look at Proverbs 18, 21, and I'm done. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it and indulge in it will eat its fruit and bear consequences of the word. So whatever I speak, I'm going to bear the consequences. Proverbs 13, 3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. I think if they would have guarded their mouth, they would, be, they would have experienced the promised land. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. So think about your life. If you today... You experience today what you spoke yesterday. You will speak tomorrow what you speak today. So those of you in the past, you say, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick. Guess what? You're going to be sick. I'm poor, I'm poor, I'm poor, I'm poor, I'm poor, I'm poor. Guess what? You're going to be poor. I'm dumb, I'm dumb, I'm dumb, I'm dumb. Guess what? You're going to be dumb. It's not your capacity. It's what you've allowed your reality to become. You're limited by what you speak over your life and what you say. And some of us, we just got to close our mouth. Look, I, I believe, and, and here, when you look at them, it was the final step. It's almost like they forfeited the, prof, the promise on the one-yard line. I know everybody don't play football. Ladies, you got to forgive my sports analogy. I got about 50% men. Come on, somebody, you understand. You're sitting right there at the one-yard line. You have fought to get from the 20-yard line because they, you returned a kick, and you're at the one-yard line. That's where the Israelites were at. They literally just had the report from the scout that God, they had already done the census for the battle and the fighting men. They had already been prepared by the priest and the Levites. They had already received the guidelines for living, which was the Ten Commandments. Now God says, you're ready. You're about to go. And they forfeited. I don't, want, I don't want to lose it on the last step. Let's don't disqualify ourselves. And even with this property, we're going to buy this property. We're going to see tens of thousands of people give their life to Jesus. We're going to reach families. We're going to reach this community. We're going to see a sea of souls. The Lord spoke to me that we would see a sea of souls. I don't see a sea. That means we ain't done. We got a lot of work to do. We're just getting started. 